Okay, so let's start. And the topic tonight um, is, I don't, I don't know exactly what they titled it on the website, but the title that I give is, um, what is Mashiach, when is he coming, and does it even matter? When I say Mashiach, the word Mashiach in Hebrew is the same word in English as Messiah, Mashiach, Messiah, the, the, uh, uh, those two words mean the same. And uh, what it means is just the etymology of the word is uh, from the word, Hebrew word Mashuach. Mashuach means anointed one. Mashuach means anointed one. What does it mean to be anointed? So um, it starts off, if you take a look in the book of Samuel, when Samuel, uh, when he consecrates uh, Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, he takes a flask of oil and pours it on his head. He anoints him. And the process of uh, Jewish chains is repeated many, many times throughout the Bible, uh, or the Jewish Bible, is uh, when they get inaugurated, the prophet pours oil on top of their head. They anoint him. And the uh, Mashiach is, or the Mashiach that we're talking about, is also the anointed one, but not just any king, rather the Mashiach, right? The Mashiach is different than a Mashiach. The Mashiach is the king who is going to uh, fulfill the prophecies outlined for the Mashiach to fulfill uh, and is going to uh, accomplish. I will go through exactly what he needs to accomplish, what the qualifications are, what he needs to accomplish. And uh, but, but the word uh, Mashiach means anointed one. And that's the same word as the uh, Greek word Christ. Christos, the word Christ is from, from the, uh, from the uh, Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. And even for Christian, um, for Christian theology, uh, you know, JC is called Christ because they claim him to have been the Mashiach, right? And Judaism rejected him as a Mashiach. Eventually, even Christianity moved away from him being a Mashiach to him being a part of God. And we'll see, that, we'll see how th- those ideas are contrary to what we believe in. Because that's what the word Mashiach means. Now, um, why is it important to know about Mashiach? And uh, why is it important to study it? So, in truth, I'll say is that it's really not that important. And I'll bring this out by a few examples that I uh, developed. Uh, we know the book, the Rambam, Maimonides, that, right? The very last is that. It's I told you that one. Right. So, uh, the, Maimonides organizes all of Jewish uh, oral Torah, all of Jewish beliefs, all of Jewish laws into a series of 14 books. And the, these books were written, actually, in order of importance. It starts off, the beginning, the, the, you know, the first, the first book deals with, with you got to believe in God. That's the most important idea in Judaism. And you got to study Torah. That's the next most important idea. And there's, and there's the idea of, of working on your midot, on your characteristics. And the idea of tshuva, and refraining, uh, tshuva means repentance. Those are all the core fundamental ideas of Judaism, right? Not to do idolatry, right? That's the flip side of believing in God. Those are all the core beliefs of the Jewish people. That's all the way at the beginning. What is all the way at the end? The laws of Mashiach. The very, very last thing, the end of the uh, of the end of the of, of the fourteenth book. So much so that where are the laws? of Gentiles, where are the laws relating to, to non-Jews, that is directly before the laws of Mashiach. And I think that what Maimonides is hinting to you is that you're, you're Jewish, right? I gave you a book, it's a Jewish book of Jewish instructions of Jewish life. And who's it written for? It's written for Jews. And I'm telling you, Jews, it's more important for you to know what the Gentiles need to do than what happens um, uh, what, what Mashiach is about and what happens, uh, what are the circumstances that he, uh, that, uh, that, that will uh, bring about his arrival. Yeah? So it seems like, um, you know, from, from that perspective, it seems like the idea of Mashiach, while it's important to know, it's not quite that important. Uh, and Maimonides himself, I'll, I'll read what he writes. Uh, this is all the way at the end. This is like uh, literally... Um, the the last few sentences that he writes in his entire uh, entire uh, you know book of Mishnah Torah, uh, people should not spend too much time studying the uh, the the Talmudic portions that talk about Mashiach, and don't spend time look, look don't spend too much time reading the the Midrashim the Midrash that talk about this, and don't make it such a priority. 
Why? Because it does not bring you to love God and does not bring you to fear God. Our religion dictates that we should develop relationships with God. What kind of relationships? God is our Father. God is our King. We love Him. We fear Him. We love Him. We fear Him. Studying about Mashiach does not bring you to neither. Not loving Him, not fearing Him. Therefore, it's 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 a it's a, a pursuit of knowledge that won't bring you to what you need to what you need to get. Um, continues, continues, um, the Rambam. Do not try to calculate when Mashiach will come. Why? Because people will do that. Um, they 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 get they get messed up. They go crazy. And rather, you should wait, you should believe that he's coming, and you should wait for him to come. Who's saying this? This is the Rambam. Okay. My Maimonides. Okay. Now, now, like the Lubavitchers. Uh, we'll get to the Lubavitchers. 250 years. We'll get to the Lubavitchers. And, and my mother's relatives from Vilna also said to we'll, we'll get We'll get to the Lubavitchers. Now, so he says, not, well, uh, not to try to calculate, not to try to calculate when Mashiach comes. Now, um, these words that Maimonides writes in Mishnah Torah are echoed in with what Maimonides writes in the Pirush Hamishnayis. We know that the Rambam wrote three major works, right? Three major works. Uh, he wrote many, many works. But the three most fundamental ones are Pirush Hamishnayis, a commentary of all Mishnah, right? Uh, Guide to the Perplexed, Mor Nevuchim, Jewish Philosophy, and Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah is everything. And in the introduction to Mishnah Torah, the Rambam writes, all you need to know all Judaism is five books of Moses, the written Torah, and my 14 books. That's it. Because that covers everything. And just to give you a little bit of a picture of, of, of what it contains. It contains everything. And in the introduction to the last chapter of Tractate Sanhedrin, Rambam gives what is an unbelievable uh, discourse on everything that you need to know with regards to um, Mashiach, with regards to what it means to be a Jew, with regards to what happens after you die, with regards to Olam Haba. He did it's literally thousands upon thousands of words. And in it, he describes the 13 fundamental principles of faith. Rambam writes, if you want to be Jewish, if you want to live as a Jew, you have to believe in 13 principles. The 12th of the 13 principles is to believe that Mashiach will come. To believe and to await Mashiach's arrival. And as a subcategory of that, of that, of that responsibility and belief, he writes that you have to also not try to calculate when Mashiach is going to come. So we see, in both uh, both the Mishnah Torah and the Pirish Mishnahis, Rambam writes, don't, do not try to calculate when Mashiach will So in uh, other words, come. don't be obsessed with it, basically? Well, don't be obsessed, he writes it, but also yeah. don't try to calculate when yeah, he's going to come. Yeah, but I mean, come. that's just part Which of Which seems to indicate... What, what does it indicate? It indicates that there is a way to actually figure out when Mashiach is coming. There is a way to figure it out. Uh, and the Rambam says you shouldn't do it. There are others, most notably the Barbanel, uh, who uh, disagrees with the Rambam, and he says that you can try to calculate when Mashiach comes, uh, will come. We know that many of our great leaders of the past thousand years, uh, notably the Ramban, Nachmanides, uh, the Malbim, have tried to come up with formulas to actually calculate this. It means they disagreed with the Rambam, and he said you cannot, you can try to calculate. Uh, or in some instances, you may be allowed to calculate when Mashiach is coming, and they have all come up with their formulas. Uh, most recently, we have the Vilna Gron, the Gon of Vilna, who uh, wrote in his commentary to the Zohar, to the book of Kabbalah, he wrote uh, that contained within his words is the answer to this important question, when Mashiach is coming. So, uh, it seems like it, it is possible to calculate this. Now, I have uh, my own personal, I've mentioned this before, uh, my own personal theory as to uh, how we can calculate uh, when Mashiach comes. And, uh, and uh, just to 
brief outline. I think it's I think it's it's really it's it's something which is you know sends chills down your spine. That's that's uh, that's why I want to share it with you. And uh, I don't profess to or I don't claim that my my the way I came up with it is actually correct. Uh, it's just a theory. But I think it's so amazing that I want to share it with y'all. And that is that the Torah, we're taught that the Torah is was the blueprint for mankind. The blueprint for the universe. The Vilna Gaon also claimed that everything that happened or that happens in the universe right, is actually foretold in the Torah. So to speak, as, as if we are living what the Torah prophesies that we're going to do. And that's what he said, and he did, he did not explain. And I have a tradition from my grandfather who said that the Vilna Gron, who died in 1797, the Vilna Gron, 1797, he was asked, okay, if everything is in the Torah, where is where in the Torah does it say about you, the Vilna Gron? Where, where, are you, where, where are you mentioned in the Torah? And he says, oh, at the end of Parshas, he states, eh? which is in Deuteronomy, right, chapter 25, I think. It says, Evan, Shlema, Vitzedek, Yihielacha. You shall have a perfect stone. What it means when, when, when you measure, when you, have, when you have stones that are, uh, the way they used to measure, um, you want to go buy cucumbers in the store a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago, uh, you would need to have a stone that's, that weighs a pound and you would put a pound of fruit on the other side and, and, you know, and when it will balance out, you know when you have a pound. So uh, there's a mitzvah in the Torah that a storekeeper should not shave off a little bit of his stone and give people less than a pound of fruit for the price of a pound. That's the mitzvah. You should have a perfect stone. And says the Vilna Gron, says the Vilna Gron, Evan, the word Evan, the Hebrew word Evan, it's Aleph, Bez, Nun. So take the Aleph. Aleph stands for Eliyahu. Eliyahu was the first name of the Vilna Gron. The Beis Nun is Ben, the son of, and Shlema is the same letter as Shlomo. It says, and my father, my name is Elio, my father's name was Shlomo, and this verse that says, Evan, Shlema, this verse talk, it talks about me. That's what he said. And there's a book, it's called Evan Shlema, and it's the Musar teachings of the Vilna Gron. That was the title of the book, Evan Shlema. Okay? Part one. Part two, my grandfather said, this is in the 1980s, if the Vilna Gron was in Parshas Tiseitze, we are in Parshas Vayelach. Your family. It means we, as in, not we, as in, as in uh, us, in the 1980s, we're in Parshas Vayelach, which is further later on in Deuteronomy. That's all he said, and he didn't explain. So what I discovered is, as follows. If you take all the verses in the Torah, every sentence in the Torah, you'll come up with 5,845 sentences. Now, if you were to take, if you were to take, every year since Adam, means you would take the Jewish calendar and put one, one sentence corresponding to one year, you will find that the year that the Vilna Gron died is the exact verse of Evan Shlema Vitzedek Yielacha. It's the exact verse that he said, that he said, corresponds to him in the Torah. And if you were to fast forward to the 1980s, you'll find in which parish are you in. Means if you were to take the 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 the, the, the verses and and and, and make every verse corresponding to one year, you would find that you would be end up in parshas vayelach, as my grandfather said, in the 1980s. Now. Um, what makes me believe that this is actually accurate? So what makes me believe is a few things. I found, I when I calculated, I found that the year 1939, which was a very pivotal year in Jewish history, and I found the corresponding verse, and uh, this is where the, 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 uh, sp- the chills uh, went down my spine. Translated into English. And Hashem removed them from upon their soil with anger, with wrath, and with great fury. And he cast them to another land, as is very did. Jews were living in Europe for 1,500 years. 
and in one fell swoop, Jewish activity in Europe was totally destroyed and was reassigned to Israel and the United States. And is it a coincidence? Maybe. But maybe this verse is prophesizing that the Holocaust is going to happen. And the Jewish people that had their center of life in Europe are going to be uprooted from there with anger, with wrath, and with great fury and cast away to a different land. And the verses continue. Um, and a, a few verses later, you get them Jews coming back to Israel. How shocking is that? A few, uh, uh, if you're, then Hashem your God will bring you, uh, bring back your captivity and have mercy on you and return you and gather you from all other peoples to which Hashem your God has scattered you, bringing the Jews back. If you're dispersed, will be at the ends of heaven. From there, Hashem your God will gather you in and from there he will take you. Hashem your God will bring you to the land that your forefathers possessed, bring you back to Israel. 1945. The Jews are coming back to Israel. And you shall possess it. I will do, uh, he will do good to you and make you more numerous than your, than your forefathers. How amazing is that? 19. So you, so you think the last verse would be the? Uh, I don't know the last verse. I didn't. I didn't make that. Uh, that, that that's that, that that's your words. It's not mine. Well, it's coming. I didn't say that. What about 1967? What happened to the Jews in 1967? The Six-day war. What happened before the Six-day war? What was the? Um, what brought about the Six-day war? What, what brought about is was the Arab uh, countries were threatening the annihilation of Israel. In May 27, 1967, right, the president of Egypt, whose name was... No. No, no, no. It was... Nasser. Gamal Abdel Nasser. He said, our goal is the absolute destruction of the state of Israel. That's what he said. And in Israel, they were likewise panicking. They had dug 10,000 graves in public parks in anticipation for all the dead, they were at, the, you know, all the foreign, uh, all the foreigners in Israel left. My grandfather himself sent his writings, his manuscripts to Sweden, to, to, to Switzerland because he thought it was over and at least he'll have some sort of remnant. Everyone thought it was over. And like that, in 10 minutes, a miraculous victory for the Israelis, they destroyed all of the, of Egypt's uh, uh, airplanes and, and, and runways and they gained ear superiority, and eventually they captured um, treme- the, the, the Sinai Desert, the Golan Heights, the West Bank, and the uh, and the uh, and the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, they like quadruple the size of the state. Amazing victory! What's the verse there? So the verse over there is like that. Ready? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be broken before them. For Hashem, your God, it is He who goes before you. He will not release you, nor will He forsake you. Don't worry, man. I got this one. My aunt sent my, my, my aunt Shan Prever sent my grandmother Sarah on a boat, on a cruise to Israel. And my grandmother got to see, uh, uh, Deceased husband, my grandfather Shaul or Saul, Marshall or Marshall Kovitch is uh, one of his brothers who's camp. This is yeah. This relates that that was uh, that highest man as a child during the Holocaust, wandering in the forest in Eastern Europe, and they brought the child to Israel, and then he became a doctor, and then his children. Okay, and so she she went to the uh, the bar mitzvah. Uh, in Tel Aviv, uh, when my aunt sent her for her 80th birthday or whatever birthday it was, okay, and and, uh, and then they put them all back on a boat because the Six Day War broke out. Oh wow, right. tremendous! Anyhow, yeah. so that is what I discovered. Now, I do believe that there is that that this may be true, and if it's true, it may hold the key to figuring out when Mashiach is coming. Now. Uh, I follow the advice of the Rambam, and I did not try to actually calculate when it's going to happen. But from all the indications that we got, that seems to indicate, that seems to show that it is possible to calculate it, 
it seems like at least this is one way to try to uncover, uh, you know, uncover that uh, or to answer that question. If it's true or not, who knows? Okay, so so that's so so that's the introduction. So uh, Mashiach, we know what the etymology of the word is. Right? It means to be anointed. We know uh, it's important to learn. It's one of the fundamental principles of faith. You have to believe it. If you don't believe it, says the Rambam, it's as if you don't believe in Moses, you don't believe in Torah, you don't believe in God. It's it's a fundamental belief in Judaism. It's important to know what it means, but don't dwell on it. It's important to learn about it, but don't try to calculate. Don't spend your time in it. It's not going to help you to bring you closer to to the Almighty. Okay, so that's the, the introduction. So now, who is Mashiach? What does he need to do? Okay, so the first thing is Mashiach is a mortal man like like everyone in this room. Mortal, regular, standard human. No different than any other man. This man need not be a magician, need not be someone who does miraculous things against nature, need not be someone who has these signs or revelations, and cannot be someone that changes even one iota of the Torah. The Torah, we're told countless times, right? See Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy 13, for as examples, the Torah is set in stone. It cannot be changed. You cannot add, neither subtract from the Torah. If you add a mitzvah, right, it's obvious that this is not the right guy. If you subtract a mitzvah, it's obvious that this is not the right guy. And it's, it's this is a crucial point because People's perception of Mashiach is wrong, or, or, or at least the public, the unformed public is that, uh, or Christians as well. But even, but even, even Jews who have, who have never studied it, we think that he's going to come and do something. It's not that, that, that that's not so, and it's absolutely clear from the sources he's going to be a regular person who will die, who will eventually die like all humans die. Will not change one iota of Torah. The second they change one iota of Torah, we know for sure that they're frauds. And uh, uh, so what does he need to do? So there's six things that he does need to do. Yes. Rabbi, okay. is this, is, I, am I yeah. right in thinking or learning that they, he has to be a lineage to King David? Yes. Yeah, so he needs to be... King David. Yes, he needs to be, So he's a mortal human who will die. He needs to be a direct descendant of King David via King Shlomo, right? He has to be... Uh, he's going to be a prophet like Moses, or so, or maybe a little bit less than Moses. He's going to be a wise person like like his forefather Shlomo. Ramam says he's going to be someone who teaches Torah, right? Hogav Torah, studying Torah, va'osik mitzvahs, and dealing with mitzvahs. Kid David Aviv, like David, his forebearer. There you go. How could it be proved that you know he'd be a direct lineage to David? That's a good question. That's a good question. So, um, there, um, no DNA. <laughs> um, that's a good question. How would they prove it? I don't, know how, I don't know how they would prove it. But that's, that's a good question. How would they actually prove well, you, you'd it? Maybe but, you just have to believe it. Yeah, you have to believe that. Yeah, but uh, that's for sure one of the qualifications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he has to be a Torah scholar of tremendous, tremendous regard. And... He has to bring not only the Jews back to Israel and back to Torah, he has to bring the entire world to recognition of God. There's going to be a a, a paradigm shift in the world's perception of of spirituality, of reality. And the world will recognize that they made a mistake. There's going to be a recognition of mistake and an adoption of the Jewish belief in God. That's in the general society, but the Jews are going to come back to Israel. All Jews. Well, I mean, all you Jews. Know, so, it, yes. Which tribe did David? Can David work? Well, that's from uh, the tribe of Judah. Okay. Yes. Um, okay, so he is going to reestablish the Jewish uh, monarchy. Reestablish Jewish monarchy, right? The Davidic monarchy. Bring the world to recognition of God. Bring the Jews back to Israel. We'll build the temple in Jerusalem on Temple Mount. Okay? Put a crane in there to move The crane, exactly. <laughs> Bring the Jews to Israel to reestablish the Sanhedrin. 
reestablish the Jewish Supreme Court of Law. And the last thing that he would need to do is to reinstitute the sacrifices in the temple and the Jewish calendar laws. What I mean by calendar laws, the laws of Shemitah and the laws of Yovel. These are the, 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 the agricultural laws that are pertinent, or some of the agricultural laws that are pertinent to Israel. That's it. Six things he needs to do, absolutely. Uh, six things that need to happen. And personally, he needs to be uh, the Vedic line. Uh, he needs to be a tremendous Torah scholar. He has to be a tremendously wise person. Uh, tremendously, uh, he was going to be a prophet. Does he need to do any any miracles? No. There seems to be an indication that he's going to be as a, a also a um, somewhat of a military leader. It says that he's going to um, lead the Jews. This. It, it, what it's, I'll translate what it means and I'll explain to you why it's a little bit ambiguous and he will fight the wars of Hashem he will battle the wars of Hashem so that could mean that he w- will be a warrior as well and it could also mean that he'll battle the spiritual the spiritual battles of God now in discussing Mashiach the Raman brings in a character that some of us may very well be familiar with. And that is Shimon Bar Koziva, popularly known as Shimon Bar Kochba. Who was this guy? This was someone who led the revolt, the Jewish revolt over the Romans in the year 132. He was obviously a tremendous Torah scholar. He fulfilled all the qualifications. He was a tremendous military warrior. Right? So much so that Jewish lore has, uh, or there's a tradition, that this Bar Kokhba was able to ride on a horse and uproot a tree with his bare hands. Tremendously mighty warrior. And Rabbi Akiva, the greatest of the Tanaim, the Jewish leader of that time, said, this man, Shimon Bar Koziva, he is the Mashiach, or he has the potential to be the Mashiach. Right? And he renamed him Shimon, from Shimon Bar Koziva to Shimon Bar Kokhba. Why? The word Kochav, the word Kochav means a star. And in the uh, the Bible, it says that there's a star that's going to emerge, right, from Jacob, which is a reference to Mashiach. Rabbi Kiva was so confident that this fellow had the qualities and the qualifications to be Mashiach that he renamed his name to not, not to be Bar Koziva, but to be Bar Kochba as an indication of his messianic potential. Already died, he died in combat. Did he die in combat? Uh, yes, so, so the story of, of, of Bar Kochba was that he was indeed righteous. He died in... Well, and uh, he started off as being very humble. He got arrogant. He got full of himself. He told God, listen, you don't need to help me. I got this. Just don't help them. And he was a little bit paranoid, and he had his uncle. It was his uncle. Who was Rebelezer Hamodai, who was one of the great rabbis at the time, was his uncle. And he thought that he was being uh, disloyal to him, and he had him killed. So, yeah, and that was the end of our Kochman, and he was killed, and his, uh, his uh, revolt was quieted, and, there was, and, and him and his supporters were all, were all slaughtered. But um, it's used as a model, because we know Rabbi, what, the second Rabbi Akiva says about someone that he has messianic potential, we have a picture of what messianic potential means. This guy, Bar Kochma, he was a warrior, so maybe that may seem to indicate that the Mashiach will be a war, but that doesn't say it clearly, it's not, it's not explicit in the text. But he was someone who did no miracles, who did no miracles, who didn't act in any way uh, outside the realm of, of nature, outside the realm, outside the realm of, of, of nature. So he could have been Mashiach, but he wasn't. He's dead, the Ram writes, because he, after he died, it became clear that he was not the Mashiach. So uh, it seems that there's another qualification that's necessary that the person, Mashiach, has to be alive. Once the Mashiach, once the person who, or if he had Mashiach, Messianic potentials, regardless of whether or not he has Messianic potential, if they're dead, they can no longer fulfill those qualities. Now, well, is that, is that is Messiah? Is he supposed to? He does come. He's supposed to die too. So I don't want to get into the idea. There's, there's, there's an idea called Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef. Mm-hmm. We 
to Google it. I don't know much about it. It seems that there might be two Mashiachs, one Ben Ben Yosef, the son of Joseph, who will who will lead the Jews, but then will die, and then the second one will be um, um, Ben David, the son of David. Rambam does not mention it. So uh, I'm sure there are sources that talk about it. I'm not familiar. I'm familiar with the idea. I'm not familiar with the particulars. Um, what what, what Ram does quote is the uh, idea of Gog Umagog. Anyone heard those terms before? Yeah. Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog. Mm-hmm. So Gog and Magog is this apocalyptic battle outlined in the book of Ezekiel Vichestel. That's going to happen between the final battle of the good and bad, and the you know Jacob and Esav, and the Jews and the rest of the world, and and it, everything will be at stake. This is this is it. It'll be a tremendously, uh, um, uh, tremendously, uh, you know, fatal war. Lots of people are going to die. Be, you know, disaster. But that will bring about. Uh, that will be directly preceding Mashiach. Uh, we have some opinions say that uh, this this battle Gogol Magog is actually going to come in separate in separate increments. Uh, some people say that maybe World War One was increment number one, World War Two is increment number two, and some third battle may be at the third increment. Who knows? Um, but the real the the the, the, uh, the battle of Gogol Magog will precede it, according to the Rambam. Elijah, Elijah the prophet, will also come back, right? Come back and make an announcement or uh, usher in the messianic era. So what that means, also, it's it's also it, it, that that's that's the, uh, the prophecy in the Torah that Elijah will come back, uh, right? and he will bring the Jews back to their you know to their father in heaven. So what that means, uh, I don't know, but that but that's the idea. And once Mashiach comes. Right? And we have the king who is Mashiach, and we have the temple and everything. There's actually a dispute in the Talmud. There's a dispute in the Talmud um, if there's going to be uh, any change in the course of nature. It means post, post-Mashiach, uh, the post-Messianic era. Uh, and um, one opinion says yes, one opinion says no. The Rambam, uh, he sides with the opinion that says that there will be no change. The only change will be that the Jews will not be subjected to uh, to to the, to the uh, kings or the kingdoms of the land. They will have the free reign to study Torah and to and to delve into spiritual exercises. And that is really why we're striving to have Mashiach, because Mashiach will bring uh, will usher in a period of 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 a, of a, of a renaissance in learning, a renaissance in Torah study, a renaissance in belief of God, and a, a spiritual utopia. And that's why we want it. And even though the Jews will have a a supremacy, the Jews will will, will have a kingship, the Jews will have dominion, still that's not why we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it because we'll have the spiritual renaissance that will be brought about. Yes. Okay, now this is a thing that I really, you might, maybe you don't even know the answer, but maybe you can explain it. Bodies and souls are going to be resurrected when this comes, right? uh, when the Mashiach comes. No, no. That, that's not. It's, it's no. different. Yes, this is before or after. Yes, we have in in in, in, the, in the Shabbos morning prayers we say that there's four uh, time periods. There's Olam Hazeh, this world, Olam Ba, next world, right? Yivot Hamashiach and Tchiat Hametim. Okay, so Yivot Hamashiach is the days of Mashiach, and Tchiat Hametim is the days of resurrection of the dead. So it, 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 nowhere does it say that. Uh, and specifically, fit. I mean, I'm not trying to be stupid, but how would they all? They couldn't fit. All Israel. the population. What in Israel? Israel, Israel expands. You know. That's what I was telling him. We'll just take but, some more yeah, land but, over there. Yeah, and also, yeah, and also um, during. Uh, yeah, there'd be billions and billions of people. Oh, there. not some billions of people. Well, there were the world so population was what. 10, 20, 30 million, 2,000 years ago? Yeah, but if you're taking all of Who says they're all going to be resurrected? Hey, it's a different, different story. We're not talking about resurrection. Okay. It's a different time period. And in fact, the Rambam, one of the examples, I'll tell you this, one of the examples that Rambam gives of the miracles that are not necessary for Mashiach to do is to resuscitate, to resuscitate the dead. That's not being discussed here at all. While that is a Jewish belief and one of the 13 principles... It has not. It, it is. It is a separate principle than that of Mashiach. And it doesn't. It's not going to take place at the same uh, time. Doesn't seem like that. Doesn't okay, seem like that. Good. Okay, that answers my question. Okay, so while the Rambam clearly uh, is of the opinion 
the reason why I'm pouring the Rambam so much, so many times, because he is the opinion on this. He he he's the opinion on this matter. Uh, one wrote most extensively about it, and the most quoted, and uh, you know everyone goes with his position on this matter. While he is of the opinion that um, what's going to happen post uh, the Messianic uh, period or in the Messianic period is not going to be a change in nature, just a change in our, you know the Jews' ability to study Torah. Uh, without any restrictions, he still writes a caveat, but no one really knows what's going to happen. So even though he takes a position in the matter, he says, still, it's not absolutely clear what exactly is going to happen. So, Rabbi, we, we don't know how long the Messianic We don't know anything. Been, and then we don't know, like, how soon after the Messianic period, the resurrection of the dead happens? Correct. Correct. So now, very good. Um, so now we, we described... Why it's important to learn about Mashiach? We describe who the Mashiach is as a person, what, is, what he has to accomplish as, uh, uh, what are the objectives that he needs to do? What's gonna, what's the world gonna be like um, in the Messianic era? We said it's, it's, it's. Maimonides clearly writes it's not going to change in nature, and it will be, you know, there will be a rebirth of spiritual, uh, you know, spiritual drives, and there will be freedem to melachto nasai dechem. You know, people's mundane uh, responsibilities will be taken care, taken taken care for them, um, and you'll be able to spend your time uh, delving into spiritual matters. Okay. I, I heard that, that something about like that when the Mashiach comes, time and space as we know it will be different. That's not that's not the opinion of the Rambam. Clearly, I mean, there's somebody else's. Opinion. I don't know. I don't know of that. Is he suggesting then that there would be no more persecution of the Jews, so there would be that yes, kind of yes, level yes, of peace yes, for the yes. Jews? So, so yes, that, that, that on a global level, there'll be peace. Yeah. So I always said that people will recognize that the Jews were right. People recognize, yeah. believe yeah. in God. Yeah. There'll be a peace, peaceful time. We will, we will all be provided for. We won't have to work. I won't provide for anyhow. Who works in America? No, but is that, is that what you're saying? Did anyone in America ever starve to death in the past hundred years? No, right? We're all taken care of just, just fine. You ever wash your clothing by the river? No. <laughs> right? We all have it pretty good already. <laughs> the idea of time if you, if you don't have an income, you all automated. The idea of time and space as we know it uh, uh, being different, that seems like being more like with the resurrection of the dead. It seems like, but the Raman clearly is not, not, not for the messianic era. He doesn't, he, right, he, he specifically he says that nature will remain the same. Does he okay. go into discussion at all about what the end of days will be? Does he go into I don't, that at all? I don't believe that. Okay, I don't I'm believe just curious. About that. Okay. Now, the last two things that I want to talk about is perhaps maybe the most important things, important topics of this of this discussion, and that is uh, number one. Number one. Uh, what's our responsibility? I mean, this is, this is all like, what's going to happen? What's the history? What's, what's the machine going to do? But just what do we need to do? Right. What does this mean for us? And also the idea of 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 a uh, of false messiahs. So I'll start with the idea of false messiahs, and we'll end with the with the idea of with the discussion of with the discussion of w- what it means for us, what we need to do, what are our responsibilities, how do we usher, how do we expedite um, the process of the Mashiach's arrival. So, with regards to false messiahs, now false messiahs. Um, or the idea of Messiah is, 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 as we've seen, it's it's light at, the, light at the end of the tunnel. There's peace, there's prosperity, there's freedom, there's no oppression, there's recognition of Jewish values. It's something that's very beautiful that you want to look forward to. And we see in history that times, when times were tough, when things were rough, when things were difficult, right? When the Jews were being oppressed, what they always looked for. They say, ah, oh, Mashiach is going to come. And we'll be able to stop having these challenges and have the freedom to live as Jews, to live comfortably, to be able to pursue what what you know what we need to pursue as Jews. So you always see in time like uh, there's a there's a parallel between when times were most tough. That is, there's a spike in desire, in, in interest in bringing about the Mashiach. While when things are really good, people you know people people's focus is usually elsewhere. And uh, as a result of this, you have people, uh, when the messianic uh, fervor is high, you have people that have gained the system, or people that, that try to, or claim to be Mashiach and got a following because people were just so desperate, you know, for that, for the light at the end of the tunnel. 
So, but we have also, it's important to note that we have different kinds of false Mashiachs. We have Mashiachs that are totally false. There's examples of those. We have potential Mashiachs. And uh, we have potential Mashiachs that actually didn't pan out because of the character of the Mashiach wasn't, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't up to par. And there's also an idea, and also idea of someone being a potential Mashiach, but the Jewish community was not righteous and didn't have uh, what it takes uh, or the merit necessary to bring about the Mashiach. Why, why do I say that? Because we have a tradition that in every generation there's a potential Mashiach. Why do we say that? Because we believe that Mashiach could come any day. Part of belief in Mashiach is the idea, belief, is, is, is yearning for him to come and the recognition that it can happen at any time. So if it can happen at any time, there has to be some man who who, who you know fill those shoes, fulfill that role. So we believe that in every generation there's a potential Mashiach, right? That should the community be deserved of Mashiach, there's someone to fulfill that responsibility. Then we have someone like Bar Kochba. Bar Kochba, he had messianic potential. When Rabbi Kiva says something about you, it's true. He says that he could have been Mashiach, and he did have the qualities of Mashiach, but he went awry. Right? He, he, you know, he was killed because of his sins, writes the Rambam. He was killed because of his sins. Right? He had the Messianic potential, but he went awry. He went a little bit off kilter. That's one example. We have other examples of total false messiahs. Jesus claimed to have been Mashiach. Right? He was a false messiah. Right? We killed him because he was a false messiah. Because he was brought the Jews, you know, he was preaching against against the Torah. Right? right? He, you know, he was he was promoting idolatry. We didn't kill him. The Romans. Oh, we you actually know they revised history when when the, the, a couple hundred years after the Common Era, when uh, that emperor, what is what was he, Constantine, had this dream that he'd have military uh, uh, success if he had a cross on a shield, and so he. Uh, this is the this is the oldest argument. This is the oldest argument. I understand that there's you know for sure there's there's opinions of both man on both sides of the matter, right? So I I know this is the oldest argument. We killed them. Romans killed them, right? I think that wasn't crucifixion was in our form of killing. Who says that we killed them via crucifixion? Who says that? That's how the Romans killed them. What did he say against the Torah? He was if you take a look at the Talmud in forty three. A of Sanhedrin. It says that he was he he uh, rebelled against God. He, he was engaged in, in uh, trying to bring Jews away from Torah. These are these are these are these are in, in, in Judaism. That's a capital punishment, capital crime, to bring Jews away from to you know to be a uh, what's called a mesesume diach, someone who brings Jews away from Judaism, someone who you know deliberately takes Jews and brings them away from God. Uh, so there's a, a, narrative, a narrative in the, in the, in the Talmud that says is that what, that there was a guy named Yeshu Hanatsri, right, which translates to be Jesus from Nazarene, who we killed. So is it the same guy or not? That's debatable. But in all likelihood, we killed. You know, the Raman writes here. Yeah, I'll read you what he says. Ah, Yeshu Hanatsri, also Yeshu, which is the Hebrew word for Jesus, Hanatsri from Nazarene. That claimed to be Mashiach, and was killed in Basin, killed in the Jewish Torah law, right? And it was foretold, etc. What he writes, but I'm saying there are, there is uh, some legitimacy to the argument that the Jews killed him, right? Those are the legitimacy, legitimacy on the other side of the argument, but there certainly is legitimacy on the argument that we killed him. We killed him with stila, 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 stoning. But no, no, no. The Christians. Have no, what the Christians don't know anything, please. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, what we do know is that the Jews did not like him. Period. Yeah, and, and you know, you they know where the crucifixion not. came from. You know where it came from. This is my position of the matter. I say we. What happens? What, what, there's something called. There's a mitzvah called tlia, right? When someone gets killed in Jewish law, capital punishment, he is hung. Okay, that's what it says. But only one of the four. Uh, of the four capital punishments, there's four ways we kill people, right, in, in Jewish law. The worst of them is called steel of stoning, right? Th- that's the only one that gets hung. Right? How do you kill someone who who, who um, 
uh, via stoning. You chuck them off a building, two-story building, and then you throw enormous boulders in them until they die, right? Worst way to die, right? For the most egregious of sins. Uh, not today. No, not today. Uh, no. Um, but what uh, what happens to someone after they're stoned is they're hung for just a little bit. They're hung on, on something that could be misconstrued as a cross. Or it's very close to a cross. So what I think happened, I think the Jew, this is my position in the matter, I may be wrong. The Jews killed him, they stoned him, they hung him, and that was the lasting image of him. But, but maybe the, yes, maybe no. Well, they yeah, may have, they, 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 they participated. They, okay, they can't, their form of killing was crucifixion. Yeah, it's possible that Jesus, Jesus never even existed. We, it's, I, I don't want to get sidetracked with this story. But basically, the idea of Jesus as being a Messiah is an example of a false Messiah. Well, yeah, because they say Paul with the manifestation of Paul. That could be. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, 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 Jesus may have been a composite character. We don't know. It's very little. Very composite? composite means it's, it's it's a collection of different different. Characters, right? There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no written, there's no written documents about this guy till till 30, 40 years later. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written thirty years after this guy is dead. Eyewitness accounts, documentation of him don't exist. Right? Historical accounts don't, don't exist. So yes, could he exist? Existed maybe, uh, but could it be also that it's a composite of several different characters? That's also possible. Right? Could we have killed him? Yes. Could the Romans have killed him? Also possible. I thought my personal opinion is that we killed him, and I kind of think that if we came back, we really, we'll kill him again. Good evidence that he, he was. Out. Yeah, there's no, there's, no, there's no evidence that he actually existed. Wow. Historical Jesus doesn't exist. Okay, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but this is an example of a false messiah. Another example, right? Another example is the story of Shabtai Tzvi Yemach Shemo. Right? Who was Shabtai Tzvi? Shabtai Tzvi was a fellow who was born in Spain in the year 16. 26, tremendously bright, tremendously um, charismatic. In all, from all descriptions, was brilliant. Became a tremendous scholar, tremendous man of, uh, of uh, you know, character. He met meets a fellow by the name of Nathan, of, in, heavily stu, uh, steeped in mysticism. He meets a fellow by the name of Nathan of Gaza. Nathan of Gaza becomes his promoter. Nathan of Gaza convinces him that he's Messiah, and they go around preaching. He gets a huge following. People sell their homes, say we're moving to Israel. There's a movement moving to Israel on the way to stop from Turkey. They, the, 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 the Turkish, uh, whoever's running the Ottoman Empire, says, oh, yeah, the Sultan, whatever. He says, oh, you're really Messiah? You're going to prison. So he, had a, he was in prison, and he had like a whole whole wing to the prison by himself, and he was accepting visitors, and he was like foreign dignitaries. And you know, eventually he converted to Islam and... Obviously, I was talking. He was Muslim, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, and he converted to Islam, and then he, some people said, "Well, maybe he was still Mashiach even after he converted to Islam." And you know, he he repudiated his Jew, Jewish faith, and that's also not uh, not true. And uh, this is actually one of the very one of the most saddest uh, episodes in Jewish history is the story of, of Shabtai Tzvi, uh, because the Jews were doing uh, the Jews were. Tr- Terribly persecuted all across Europe in the 17th century. Terrible persecution, right? And like we said, when there's per, per, when the persecution's high, right, the uh, the drive, uh, the messianic anticipation is also high. They see a guy who seems to fulfill some of the qualities. Not quite. Not quite. Uh, in retrospect, he wasn't really the right guy, and in retrospect, it was, a, it was a mistake. And the rabbis never even accepted. They knew he was a fraud, but people want to listen. And it was it was a tremendous, tremendous and. Years later, hundreds of years later, the reverberations of Shabtai Tzvi still affect the Jewish community. Was he forced to convert by that? Well, either way, either way, the second you repudiate your Jewish faith, you're nothing. What about the... uh, You're not a lot of... (laughs) What about the Spanish Jews who, like, they would, you know, like, during the Inquisition? Yeah, the Moranos? So they pretended, right? Yeah, but that's not not really uh, pertinent to our discussion, because we're not talking about Mashiach there. But did this guy pretend? Or did he really either way, either way, if I come to someone, a Jew, then put a gun to their head and say, Are you, would you repudiate your faith? You're supposed to say, shoot me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's under no condition you allowed to convert to another, another religion, mm-hmm. even if it's just for, for show. It's Kiddush Hashem, right? Um, what happened in the aftermath of Shabtai Tzvi, what happened, what happened was is, is that uh, tremendous, unimaginable uh, division amongst the Jews, 
uh, suspicion of anyone who studied mysticism was viewed uh, suspiciously. We know that years later, the um, the uh, the Ramchal Lutzato, Rabbi Lutzato, he was someone who was totally straight, right, totally true to the Jewish faith. But because he was engaged in mysticism, he was banished from Italy. This is this is fifty years later. Fifty years later, the pain of 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 Shabtai Tzvi what do you was mean mysticism? mysticism is Kabbalah. It's, it's Jewish mysticism, the deepest aspects of Judaism. So 50 years later, even more than that, 70 years later, Ramchal, because he was engaged in mysticism, right? He they had they banished him from the community. Because anyone who was engaged in mysticism, you automatically said, oh gosh, this guy's up to no good. He's like Shabtai Tzvi. Get him out of here. You know. And years later there was some there was some closet people, people that were living as Jews, but you know, still believed in Shabtai Tzvi. Sabbatians, they're called. Right? There's a fellow named Jacob Frankert came subsequently, another example of a false messiah. Of a false messiah. How about that guy, Isaac Luria? Isaac who? Luria. Yeah, with Arizal. Arizal never claimed to be to be the, the messiah. Arizal is, um, he, he, he stewarded the rebirth of Kabbalah, of mysticism. Um, he, uh, He's viewed very, very positively in uh, in our faith. Um, now, but not, but not not relatable against that. It related to the discussion of, of mysticism, but not to the discussion of, of Mashiach. Never claimed. No one ever claimed. I read book a while back that uh, uh, that both um, and Isaac Luria were East European Jews that were viewed as false. Uh, well, it's not. Uh, we don't view uh, the Rizal as a false messiah. Absolutely not. Um, and this brings us to um, to modern day uh, Lubavitch. Now, um, I want to preface this by saying a quick disclaimer: is that Lubavitch is one of the great Hasidic dynasties, and uh, one of the dy- or the if there is anything to Hasidic wisdom. Hasidic inspiration, inspiration, but more the intellectual inspiration, that's all from Chabad. And the Torah of Chabad, the Torah of Lubavitch, is amazing, and the work that they do today is also unprecedented. Unprecedented in their degree of, of dedication, unprecedented the stroke of their kindness, and, 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 and it's truly remarkable in many, many facets. That, notwithstanding, uh, in, in Lubavitch there was a tradition that there's going to be seven Lubavitch Rebis, starting with the Balatanya, who was the founder of the movement. And the last one is Rabbi Schneerson, who died in 1994. And the last one, the tradition of the Lubavitch uh, community, was that the last of the seven will be Mashiach. Now, uh, Rabbi Schneerson assumed the leadership of Chabad in the 50s from his father-in-law, incidentally also named Schneerson. He married his first cousin. Uh, And he was a man of tremendous Torah, uh, knowledge and ability, a tremendous uh, leadership, um, le- leadership and vision, and he was one who started Chabad outreach. We know that Chabad now is there's thousands of Chabad rabbis all across the world doing great things, and there was a belief that he is Mashiach, and even in his lifetime, even in his lifetime, there were claims, uh, and, and there were uh, there were claims in the or there's strong held beliefs in the community that he was Mashiach. It seems like he did not quiet those claims. Maybe he embraced them, maybe no, unclear. Regardless, he died in 1994. 1994. 1994. Uh, he's buried in Brooklyn. And there are those, there's a movement in Chabad that thinks either he thinks he's still alive or thinks he's still Mashiach or thinks he's coming back. Now the problem, the danger with this is, what's the danger, is that this is not the first time that there was someone who was claimed to have been Mashiach who died, whose followers said, oh, he's coming back. We're very familiar. And it's, there's, an exact, like? <laughs> there's an exact parallel to yeah. that. Yeah. And, that is, um, and, that is, and that is Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right? A guy claimed to be Mashiach, dead, oh, he's coming back. How oh, convenient. He was nine years old, 92, 89, something like that. Now, um, and this is this is a very, very real danger, and it, and and, it ha- and, and, it, and it's not being publicly uh, addressed. 
And while statistics as to who really believes this and who really doesn't believe that, 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 it's very hard to get accurate statistics. But what we do know for sure that there is a sizable amount of people that do believe that. And it's very dangerous, especially it's very unfortunate that one of the um, one of the most remarkable of the Hasidic dynasties would go down this this path, would go down this path of of, of following a Rebbe and claiming him to be Shiach and really rehashing Christianity all over again. Um, you know, and dangerous. Huh? Dangerous. very dangerous. And yes. what I'll tell you is that there are responsible. They are very strange as well, right? There are responsible. I Means there are people that seem to be in every other way rational, intelligent people who say, oh, "What do you mean? He's not. Old. He's not dead. He's just uh, he's existing." Wait, wait. It's so, insanity, right? He's not really dead. He's coming back. It's it's it, and it's it's so un-Jewish. It's so well, Christians believe that second coming of Christ, too. right? And that's what that's, that's an exact parallel. Yeah. Uh, so and that's why it's so weird. There are mature um, leaders in Chabad, most notably uh, uh, Rabbi Krinsky, who was the who was the Rebbe's Gabbai, the Rebbe's right hand man, who runs many of the institutions. Who is trying to you know to stand out this movement? Because it's very easy to see how 20, 30, 50 years down the line it could just totally morph into its own religion, mm-hmm. and that's that's and that's the most unfortunate thing that could, that, could, that could possibly happen. So there are there are uh, there are people that are trying to change it, but this is still a real real danger, a real danger for this uh, for this community. Uh, he he's dead, he ain't coming back, and he's not Mashiach. Could he have been Mashiach? Did he have messianic potential? Maybe. It's possible that he was the potential Mashiach. But now, post-facto, he's dead, he ain't coming back, and we have to move on. Well, they said that um, during, like, the, during the Vietnam War, there were all these little religions were coming out. Like, uh, but the federal government came out a law to come out with another faith. It like a sub-faith in Christianity. It's got to go, be passed by Congress or something like Is that. Is that right? I'm not familiar with that. Well, during, uh, every time there's a war... You get all these little like uh, cults. Yeah. yeah, all these little cults come out. Yeah. Are you Everybody's looking for something. Yeah. Are you guys Christian? No, I'm a Judaism. Are you a Jew for Jesus? Or you're a Messianic no, I, I, I converted to, to Judaism. Are you converted? Well, they said every time there's a war, a bad war, like Vietnam or the Korean War, you get all these cults come out. Because people are looking for something. Yeah. That's I think they're looking for something. And the federal government made a law that it has to be passed. Okay, so um, I want to finish off with the last point of the night, and that is the idea, or maybe probably like I said, the most important point for us, and that is, um, what does it mean for us? For us in our lives. This is a lot of lofty, uh, you know, ideas that are um, theoretical, you know, what's important to know, but not really practical for us on a daily basis. Like, like the Rambam writes, the Rambam says, he says, don't, don't dwell in it. It's not going to bring you not to love God, not to fear God. And that's your responsibility, to love God and to fear God. And all your effort should be, you know, directed towards accomplishing one of those two things. What does it mean for us? So I, I, I want to quote the um, the Gemara, the Talmud in Sanhedrin 97a. And I think I might have mentioned this uh, before. And the Talmud says, Ein ben David ba'el The son of David, i.e. Messiah, is not going to come, right? Only in a generation that's totally righteous or a generation that's totally uh, that, that's totally wicked. I know where I mentioned it. I just remember where I mentioned it. When I gave uh, Chumash classes in Aroma Pizza on Wednesday morning at 11.30. So you were there, you, you heard this, but they probably didn't hear it. Right? Very strange statement. When's Mashiach coming either in a generation that's totally righteous or a generation that's totally wicked? What does that mean? So... It can mean a few things. For example, it can mean that Mashiach is only going to come in a polarizing generation. In a generation where people view others as either totally righteous or totally wicked. People are this, there's no gray area. There's no there's you know there's you know there's no uh, there's, there's there's no middle ground. There's radicalism on every side. That's what it could mean. Or what it could mean is that Mashiach is going to come either in a righteous generation, either because of our righteousness, or in a wicked generation, or despite our wickedness. Mashiach will come. It's a prophecy that's foretold in the Torah. It will happen. The question is, will it happen because of us, or despite of us? 
will happen as a result of our righteousness or as a result of our wickedness, right? You're going to have it for sure. It's like you're, you're either going to, it's either going to be a very enjoyable experience. It's either going to be a culmination of our society embracing righteousness, becoming a, a, a more perfect society, and therefore meriting the Mashiach, or it comes in as or comes as a result of our deterioration, and Mashiach is coming to save us, wow. to save us. So I think that, and, and, and so it's kind of two options we have. Do we want to bring Mashiach as a result of our actions, of our righteousness? Or do we want to stoop so low that we'll need to be saved? And obviously, the better way is to, you know, righteousness. righteousness. And that's personal, communal, the Jewish people, and really the door. The, 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 the Talmud says in a generation, generation also has a global, a global meaning. When, when us as individuals uh, and us as families, us as communities, as countries, but really us as a, 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 you know, as a species, mankind, when we become more righteous, we, uh, we, we bring the world a step closer towards Mashiach Shekula Zakai. Mashiach in a generation that's, that's, totally, that's totally righteous. Uh, you know, my, uh, my son says, every time you do a mitzvah, he put a brick on the base of Mintash. On the base, on the temple. You're building, you, every mitzvah that you do, you're, you're contributing towards the effort of rebuilding the temple. And I, and, I, and, I, and I agree with that. So our job right, is A, to know these ideas, but also we have a responsibility to act in a, you know, in a righteous way and to help bring about the Mashiach. Is there any questions? Thank you all for Thanks a lot. Great class. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to see if I have a menu.